This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui, I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. Let's meet the winner of New Zealand's top research prize, the Rutherford Medal. The 2019 award goes to distinguished Professor Jane Harding from the University of Auckland. Jane is only the fourth woman to win in the 29-year history of the Rutherford Medal, and she wins it for outstanding medical research that has resulted in better lifelong outcomes for mothers and babies. A big congratulations on winning the Rutherford Medal. What does it mean to win the Rutherford, which is New Zealand's top science honour? It's truly awe-inspiring and humbling and rather alarming, actually, to think that you've been awarded this medal that is such a, a huge honour. Well, you've been awarded it for a lifetime of work in which your work has made a profound difference to the lives of mothers and babies, not just in New Zealand, but around the world. So tell us what you actually do. I'm a paediatrician by background. My specialty is neonatology, newborn babies. And for most of my career, I have both worked clinically in the newborn intensive care unit and also done research More recently, I've been focused entirely on research, but the research has always been about how can we make things better for mothers and babies, not just before and around the time of birth, but for the rest of their lives, trying to understand what it is that influences how mothers and babies are when they're born, what we can do to improve that, and as I said, what we can do to change things not only then, but for the rest of their lives. I'm aware of your work because of glucose in newborns. Can you tell me that story? Tell me about what was the problem you identified and the research that you did that led to a solution. The problem with glucose levels in babies, both high and low glucoses, is one that's been puzzling clinicians around the world for as long as we've known about how to measure glucose in babies. Our focus has mostly been about low glucose levels. This is a problem that's really common in newborn babies. As many, perhaps as a third of all babies born, are born at risk of low glucose levels. That is, babies who are born small or large or preterm or whose mothers have diabetes. They're the main risk groups. And those babies have about a 50% chance of having low glucose. That is, one in two of those babies will have a low glucose level after birth. The real problem with that is that glucose is the major fuel for the brain. So in a baby who has a relatively big brain, if blood glucose is low, there's a chance that the brain won't have enough fuel and that can lead to brain injury. So we started on this problem because it's really common and because 
although we've known about low glucoses and been treating it for decades, we don't really have good treatments and we don't really know how low is a problem for any given baby. So we started off by focusing on treatment. The current main treatment at that time was if the baby's glucose was low and it didn't respond to feeding, would be to give intravenous glucose by drip. And that, of course, requires the baby being in an intensive care unit, separating it from the mother, makes it difficult to breastfeed, very stressful for all concerned. So we started by trialing a sugar gel, a simple sugar solution in a gel form that could be rubbed inside the baby's cheek that had been used before in some places, but there'd never been any really robust evidence as to whether it worked or not and whether it was safe or not. So we started in Waikato Hospital with Deborah Harris and Phil Weston, who were the people involved there, to run a trial to see whether the sugar gel really was effective and safe. And we showed in a very large trial that indeed it was effective and safe and not only did it help keep babies out of intensive care units for low glucose levels, but it actually improved breastfeeding, keeping babies with mothers and taking some of the stress away clearly made a difference to breastfeeding levels. That was tremendously exciting. We published that story, and since the publication, which has only been about five years, we know that this treatment's been taken up in many, many places all around the world, and Everywhere where people have studied it and reported it, they've found the same thing. Using the gel decreases the rate of admission to intensive care for low glucose levels and improves breastfeeding rates. So that's very exciting. At the same time, we were working on the other part of the problem, which is how low does the glucose have to be in which babies to cause problems? So we were looking at babies who'd had low glucose levels and those who hadn't and what happened to them as they grew up. And we studied these children repeatedly, and we showed that when they were around four and a half, children who'd had even one low glucose level that we didn't know about clinically and didn't treat were more likely to have some problems at four and a half. So we've now moved on to say, well, if even low glucoses that we don't know about are going to cause a problem, then we need to be doing something about preventing low glucose levels, not just treating it. So our focus for the last few years has been on, could we use the same simple, safe sugar gel to prevent low glucose levels? And it seems that we probably can. And now we're just waiting for the results of a very large study to see whether that also helps keep babies out of intensive care and whether it changes long-term outcomes. And that study is ongoing. You mentioned a large study there with lots of babies, so that's part of the key to this, isn't it, that very rigorous research like this does involve big sample sizes. It takes a while to get results. It does require large sample sizes. The, the big prevention study I just talked about has recruited over 2,000 babies. That's involved 12 centres in Australia and New Zealand, and it's taken us more than five years. And that also requires substantial funding. So being able to put all those things together, the people who are willing to take part in the various neonatal units, the families who are willing to take part, the funding to do it, 
and the time it takes are all quite daunting, but terribly important if we're going to know the answer for sure. How has our understanding of the importance of things like the mother's health while she's pregnant with the baby in the time that you've been working in this field, how's our understanding of that changed? Our recognition that mother's health is important for the baby is a very ancient one. What's changed over the last, I suppose, 30 years has been the recognition that events before birth don't just change the health of the baby at the time of birth, but can set up the health of that baby right through their lives and even into the next generation. And coming to understand that process, some of the things that influence those changes that might not be obvious at birth, and perhaps beginning to understand how we might intervene later to minimise that risk, have really evolved substantially over the last decades. What other research projects are you working on at the moment? I'm sure you have more than one on the go. Yes, well, one of the the joys and challenges of working in this area is that there are always many projects that you have on the go and many more that you'd like to be going on with. In addition to the studies on low glucose, we have some studies on high glucose that are ongoing. We have a number of studies around nutrition, particularly nutrition of preterm babies, and again, the importance of that, not just for their early growth and health, but for their lifelong health and what we can do to optimise that health by something as simple as how babies are fed soon after they're born. I gather that you've also discovered an association between something called chest percussion and brain injury in babies. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, the study about chest percussion, chest physiotherapy in babies, arose some, I suppose, about 20 years ago when we noted that a very small number of babies who had been extremely preterm and extremely ill had developed a very unusual form of brain injury. It was a kind of injury that we had not seen before and we didn't really know what it could be about. So my research was really about what could have caused this injury. And after a number of studies, we discovered that a unit in the UK had reported a similar kind of brain injury. And when I contacted the paediatricians involved to say, did you ever find out what this was? They said they thought that it may have been due to chest percussion, to chest physiotherapy in certain tiny vulnerable babies. Needless to say, we were horrified at the thought that a treatment that was being given to benefit these babies might actually be causing harm. So very quickly, I needed to go back and do a much more extensive study and show reasonably convincingly that indeed the babies who had developed the injury had had more chest physiotherapy, more percussion, and it was likely that this might have been the cause. That was a terribly difficult time for everybody. It was terribly difficult, obviously, for the families whose children had been injured was difficult for all of the neonatal staff who had been given this treatment in good faith, believing that it really helped. And it was a very difficult time for everybody while we talked to the families, tried to understand what had happened, tried to make sure that there weren't any other babies involved that we didn't know about, and tried to address the concerns of the families over quite a long period of time. But the key was doing the research quickly and convincingly to show that indeed this was the problem 
which allowed us to, to change things and stop other babies, both locally and around the world, undergoing similar treatment. What inspired you to get involved in medicine and science? I'm not sure why I got into medicine. I didn't know any doctors. There was nobody in my family who was a doctor. I don't think I really knew what a doctor was. But I did want to be a doctor from very early on. And I'm sure my family thought I was crazy, but they supported the idea anyway. And then once I'd studied medicine, I was attracted to pediatrics in the end because I really liked the way children got very sick very quickly but got better very quickly and you could deal with the difficulties of dealing with children but make such a difference and again making a difference not just now but for the whole family and for the rest of their lives and the research grew from that really not only can we do this and make children better but surely we ought to be able to do this better and understand more there was too much that we didn't know and couldn't do there still is Thanks, Jane. That was Jane Harding from the University of Auckland and the Liggins Institute. She's the winner of the 2019 Rutherford Medal, the highest honour awarded by the Royal Society Te Aparangi. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 17th of October 2019. You can find this story again at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. You'll also find interviews with other winners of 2019 Research Honours there and interviews with winners from previous years as well. While you're there, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? You can listen to RNZ, Our Changing World, on your favourite podcast provider and find my chemistry podcast, RNZ Elemental, there as well. Elemental is celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Periodic Table of Elements and we're up to ruthenium and samarium. I am still loving RNZ's video series, The Aotearoa History Show. It's a 14-part look at New Zealand and its people, and it's on the podcasts page at rnz.co.nz. Many thanks for your company. If you'd like to get in touch, we're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Bye for now. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.